You are listening to Four Point Stance Women's Tackle Football Talk on at least 16 different locations that I know of. If you want links to any of those locations, contact me on Twitter at the official Twitter handle, the number four underscore PT underscore stance. And that I can get you pretty much out of my 16. It's pretty easy to get you the links. I've got them all saved. And that's just the best way to tell you where to go instead of reading off the novel that I have to read every week. And as a reminder, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, especially this time of year, they are there to help 24-7-1-800-273-8255. And the Trans Lifeline, also available to help, especially this time of year. This is a very tough year for many individuals. Canadian number is 877-330-6366. And the U.S. number is 877-565-8860. So, was going to have a show last week, but the universe apparently said not to. And just a lot of stuff coming down, but uh, that doesn't mean I still don't have what I had planned on covering uh, for this week. So, obviously got a bit going in. Um, There is some substantial women's tackle football news. But then I also have kind of more focusing on the men's side of it. This is going to be a little more focused on the men's side of football. Because, you know, the infamous stuff with the NFL and... uh, Kaepernick, he's back in the story, and then it's rivalry week in um, college football, so I'm not going to take the time to highlight all of them, but I am going to talk about one specifically and the choice of where they're going to televise it and how it really plays a role in really how they're going to improve themselves in the future. Getting right into the women's tackle football news, we've had a few teams announce that they are coming into leagues. Um, We finally have the location for the Sacramento Sirens. We haven't seen them in roughly about five years. They've announced that they are going to be in the WFA this season. So that does give Portland that rivalry yet again um, that'll have South Sound and Everett, another team to go against. You know, there, there's several teams that'll actually give Cali War somebody a little closer. It's still eight hour drive for them, but gives them somebody. At least we'll see how well they travel to that. But um, there is at least somebody in Northern California now. So the West Coast is filling in a little bit but then not at the same time. On the WTFL, two teams were announced. The Keystone Assault have left the USWFL and have joined the WTFL, so they are re-emerging back on the show. And uh, considering that they have very good connections and they're, they get along very much with the teams that are already in the WTFL, this is a good fit for them. They're able to do quite a bit. Um, it, it'll be interesting 
how the season plays out for them and when they go forward. And then the new team that actually showed up a few years ago on my radar, but it was before the show was actually here, is the Reapers. They're the Connecticut Reapers, and they're focusing between Connecticut and New York. And they have just joined as well. So we do have another team focusing on the East Coast up in the New England area. But we can include the New England Re or not the New England, the Connecticut Reapers to that list. And then another piece that we can include is the WFA announced their rosters for this Team United All-Stars game. Um, they'll be taking on the All-Stars of Mexico and Canada. That's going to be February 29th. Um, kind of keeping my opinion to myself on this. I know because there's also the Hall of Fame game coming up. There's the AFE, Cancun thing, whatever. Um, <laughs> we got bigger fish to fry right now. But, uh, yeah, that roster came out, so there is that information. Have a new segment, obviously. And this is more focusing on the consequences of a circumstance. For those of you watching, you're actually seeing the play from the week 15 game between Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, the infamous brawl. And the reason I'm showing this is because at the time, this was very substantial. To see Miles Garrett swing his helmet at Rudolph only tells part of the story. It wasn't until actually Saturday, which it was a good thing that I had the show delayed, it wasn't until Saturday did the actual list of who was fined from that brawl come came out, including the two NFL teams individually being charged. 35 other individuals received fines or suspensions of some sort. You had uh, Cleveland Browns getting fined $250,000. Pittsburgh Steelers also $250,000. Um, looks like... Alu, Alu, um, Baron, Brooks, James, Burris, Carey, Dupree, Edmonds, both Edmonds, uh, Fuller, Fitzpatrick, Foster, Holton, Hilton, Holton, Jones, Kelly, Landry, you know, Lawrence, Redwine. Samuel Smith, Spillane, Sutton, Thomas, Ward, Washington, Watt, Williams, both uh, Williams, Greedy Williams and Vince Williams and Wilson were all fined for entering the fighting air arena, er, fighting area, which is $3,507 each. And then you get to the lovely big fines. And I'm going to start with the lowest first. Um, Larry Ogunjobi actually... Granted, he was suspended for one game for unnecessary roughness. That's what UNR means. 
but he appealed and actually got his fine waived. So he's only he was only out for one game. So he will be back for this game. It's going to be very interesting when they because they're seeing each other in week 17 on Sunday. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. But he will be back for this game, but he didn't have to pay a fine. Um, Pouncey had a, originally a three-game suspension. He appealed it and got it cut down to two, but he still had to pay a $35,096 fine. And uh, he was fined for fighting because he was punching and kicking Miles Garrett once this all was said and done. And as you can see, the video's still going, so you see all this playing out. Um, the next one, because granted, I'm actually going to severity here. The next one, although he did not get a suspension, he did get fined for unsportsmanlike conduct. That's what USC means in this list of actions. $50,000 for starting the fight. And that was Mason Rudolph. There is multiple angles that show him kicking and punching Miles Garrett in the groin. And it was at first said by Miles Garrett that he used racial slurs, though conveniently the NFL couldn't find anything. But I, I'm sorry, I, I could suspect that that was happening too, just by the way it played out. But Mason Rudolph did not get out of this easy. Not only did he get hit in the head with a helmet, he got hit with a $50,000 fine. And then we get to Miles Garrett. Right now his suspension is deemed indefinite. He did appeal it, but it did not work out for him. He was hit with these actions, and it only cost him $45,000, but that was the initial fee, initial fine. That does not take into account the rest of his contract here. The rest of the season is pretty hefty, um, and his, that fine will actually grow with each game. You know, from last week, $45,623 is what it cost him. You know, this week coming up, it's going to cost him this is probably the same, just because of his contract, how much he makes a game. But he was hit with unnecessary roughness, unsportsmanlike conduct, fighting, removing a helmet of an opponent, and using a helmet as a weapon. That resulted in the indefinite suspension, and he will be looking at at least the 2019 season and post, and he has to meet with Roger Goodell to possibly look into making it into the 2020, if he does not face a suspension even into 2020. So. This is pretty hefty, and granted, if he hadn't... Rem removing the helmet would have been one thing, but if he hadn't swung the helmet, he probably would have seen the rest of his season or half the season gone, or like, you know, half of it. But because of that infamous swing that he did, there was no saving him. So, that's what's coming down. Um... You know, just watching the video over and over, it still plays it out, especially when it slows it down. And, you know, everybody wants to say, oh, Miles Garrett, you know, they're using the typical language here. And that's the point part we got to stop when they want to use the typical language of, you know, oh, 
he was being violent, blah, blah, blah. No. Yes, violent was the, violence was there, but there's a whole different animal in all of this. The one individual that I'm glad that did not get fined was number 66, DeCastro. DeCastro actually was probably the one that managed to de-escalate a number of situations because not only was he trying to get Miles Garrett out of the situation, he was protecting him when Pouncey was trying to hit him and kick him on the ground. And I'm glad to see that the cloud did not get in trouble for actually doing his job. You know, granted, you have to protect your quarterback, but if your quarterback's going to be a total dimwit, I'm not saying swing a helmet at him, but, you know, I'm not saying swing a helmet at him. That's all I'm saying. from one major situation to happen to the next we had the Kaepernick I guess you could call tryout which wasn't really a tryout per se um, I actually have playing for those of you watching even though it is not exactly the best footage just because of who was filming it but I have playing in the background of those watching on YouTube Kaepernick's workout that he held at the high school because of the circumstances surrounding that. Um, to kind of give you a little bit of a brief overview of what led to that situation, originally the NFL claimed that they were going to give Kaepernick a chance to try out for all the teams, but it had to be on their terms. It was going to be at. It was going to be at Atlanta's facility on a Saturday. Um, a large number of, you know, and that wasn't tradition. Tradition was usually a Tuesday when all of the teams could be present, because you didn't have teams traveling for various for their games. But anyway, so that was the initial step. We find out that while that was going on, there were requirements that Kaepernick asked for that the NFL denied. The NFL wanted Kaepernick to sign a form that said that he wouldn't sue him if he didn't get picked. Kaepernick refused and tried to ask for a, a waiver that would just clear the NFL of his injuries. And that seemed to be setting it all downhill. And when Kaepernick asked for the ability of, to have his team do the film, the NFL said no. And that's when he pretty much walked out and decided to do it on his own. Now... Some people want to say, well, that's why he won't get there. But I do agree with several comments online that they want him to fall in line to get a job, but they're not going to, you know, they're always going to make it one step out of, 
out of his out of the goal because he feared that the NFL was only going to show his bad his bad sh- looks so that they could justify that they didn't want him in. Now the reason why football and law is in this episode is I thought it was a good time to remind everybody of what Kaepernick file like what this Kaepernick versus NFL battle has been about. We already know that Kaepernick took a knee in August of 2016. Well, originally sat, but then took a knee to protest against police brutality. And it started a shitstorm that pinned the owners against the players. As a result, Kaepernick, you know, Kaepernick did the 2016 season, was getting ready for 2017, opted out of his contract because he did not want to be with San Francisco and he was going to be a free agent anyway. And after that, he was essentially blackballed. So when the NFL was going to have a little meeting with a group of players to how to improve this circumstance without him, some audio had got leaked in the process that brought up this grievance per the collective bargain agreement. So what I'm hoping is because I have a copy of Colin Kaepernick's demand for arbitration on this matter, I was going to read it in its entirety so everyone understands what Kaepernick's side of it is against what the NFL was publishing. This is the official court document that Garagos and Garagos, his lawyers, actually applied. It says, in the matter of arbitration, Colin Kaepernick, claimant versus National Football League et al. respondents. To the National Football League and all 32 teams comprising the league, please take notice that claimant Colin Kaepernick hereby commences the enforcement proceedings pursuant of Articles 15 and 17 of the National Football League, quote, NFL, collective bargaining agreement, quote, CBA. CBA Article 17, Section 1 states, No club, its employees, or agents shall enter into any agreement, express or implied, with the NFL or any other clubs, its employees, or agents to restrict or limit individual club decisions, making as follows. 1. Whether to negotiate or not to negotiate with a player. 3. Whether to offer or not to offer a player contract to any player. Or 5. Concerning the terms or conditions of employment offered to any player for inclusion or included in a player contract. CBA Article 17, Statute 1 is where this came from. During the 2017 NFL season and continuing to the present, the NFL by and through all NFL team owners, NFL employees, and team employees have entered into and enforced implied and or expressed agreements to specifically deprive claimant Colin Kaepernick from employment in the NFL as well as from practicing with and or trying out for NFL teams or for which Mr. Kaepernick is eminently qualified. Respondents NFL and NFL team owners have colluded to deprive Mr. Kaepernick of employment rights and retaliation for Mr. Kaepernick's leadership and advocacy for equality and social justice and is bringing awareness to particular institutions still undermining racial equality in the United States. 
Further, respondents have retaliated against Mr. Kaepernick in response to coercion and calculated coordination from the executive branch of the United States government. Colin Kaepernick demands the prompt selection of a system arbitrator pursuant of Article 15 of the CBA. Expedited discovery included depositions of document production pursuant to Article 15 and a prompt Article 17 enforcement proceeding. Let's take a break. That right there is the opening statement of what he, what this started. And yes, you heard correctly, the executive branch of the United States government. That is naming the president. As he infamously called him, you know, say, saying, get that son of a bitch off the field. And I am quoting literally. Returning back to this. Please take further notice that pursuant to the CBA and the federal rules of evidence, you are required by law to preserve all documents, emails, text messages, memoranda, notes, and all other electronically stored information, ESI, which is reasonably calculated to lead to the discovery of admissible evidence in this action. Any deletion of or tampering with evidence shall be deemed willful spoliation and will subject you and your agents to the fullest extent of penalties permitted by law. In other words, they told the NFL, don't you play a Tom Brady on us. One, factual background. One, after setting numerous athletic records in the University of Nevada, Reno, Mr. Kaepernick began his professional career, football career in 2011, where he was selected by the San Francisco 49ers during the 2011 NFL Draft. Two, Mr. Kaepernick quickly rose in the position starting quarterback for the 49ers in 2012. Three, Mr. Kaepernick ultimately led his team to the National Football Conference NFC Championship and to its first Super Bowl in nearly two decades. Four, Mr. Kaepernick continued to perform as a top-tier quarterback while playing with the 49ers. I'm going to pause there for a second. That is not a lie. He is, he still fits in the upper category of quarterbacks. You need to actually compare his record, his stats to, in that time frame, he is still an upper-tier quarterback, and even today, he still fits it within the upper 50%. So, before anybody starts coming onto my stuff and says, well, he's a shit quarterback, go look at your stats first and don't cherry pick it. Look at all of it and compare it to every other uh, quarterback during during his time and since. Back to this. Five. During the 2016 season, following numerous incidences of police brutality against minority individuals, Mr. Kaepernick opted not to stand during the national anthem in an effort to raise awareness of racial inequality and minority oppression in the United States through a silent and peaceful protest for a nation that had not lived up to its ideals of freedom and equality guarantees to all citizens. In addition to his silent and peaceful expression of protest by kneeling, Mr. Kaepernick also pledged to donate 1 million of his 2016 through 2017 season salary to support organizations helping communities in need. Six, to date, and specifically from the 2016 season through the present, there has been no NFL rule prohibiting players from kneeling during the national anthem. Mr. Kaepernick has a has a con- constitutionally protected First Amendment right to engage in a silent and peaceful protest. Seven, Mr. Kaepernick's actions gained nationwide attention. Numerous other members of the NFL also began kneeling or making comparable gestures in peaceful protests during the performance of the National Anthem and professional sporting events. 
2008, Mr. Kaepernick became a free agent on or around March 3, 2017. Based on his consistently exceptional career performance, his age, and all other objective merits, Mr. Kaepernick was the ideal candidate and, in fact, the best qualified candidate to fill the vacant starting quarterback position on many NFL teams, or at the very least, the numerous vacant backup positions. Goodell himself has been quoted as stating that the NFL is about, quote, metocracy and opportunity. Nine. However, during his free agency period and purportedly, quote, free market, whose natural function would have resulted in a bidding war or at least high-level interest for a quarterback of Cap Mr. Kaepernick's caliber, instead functioned as a peculiar institution with suspicion design, suspicious with suspicious design and objective. Ten. NFL teams exhibited unusual and bizarre behavior regarding Mr. Kaepernick's prospective employment. Multiple NFL coaches and GMs stated that they had wanted to sign Mr. Kaepernick only to mysteriously go silent with no explanation and no contract offer made to Mr. Kaepernick. Other NFL teams stated they had no interest in Kaepernick and refused to explain why. NFL teams who ran offenses Offensive systems favorable to Kaepernick's style of play instead employed retired quarterbacks or quarterbacks who had not played in a regular season game in years and signed them to significant contracts while prohibiting Kaepernick from even trying out or interviewing for those jobs. On or around September 22, 2017, during a campaign rally speech in Alabama, Donald Trump referred to NFL players that knelt during the national anthem as son of a bitches, implying that Kaepernick was a son of a bitch, and demanded that NFL teams fire these players. Since then, Trump, Pence, uh, and Pence have posted tweets and engaged in various public relations stunts designed to retaliate against Kaepernick and any and other players that have joined in Kaepernick's peaceful protest. Following Trump's September 22, 2017 campaign rally, NFL owners and affiliates feigned concern for players by either kneeling alongside them or joining them in locking arms and were even featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated doing the same. However, such conduct, conduct by NFL owners proved to be a public relations stunt designed to appear empathetic to players. In reality, NFL owners threatened players with fines and suspension if they refused to stand for the national anthem in the following weeks. 12. On or around October 10, 2017, NFL Commissioner Goodell announced a proposed NFL rule change requiring players to stand during the national anthem, thereby conceding that there was no such rule prior in place. Excuse me. No such prior rule in place. 13. The owners of respondent NFL teams have been quoted describing their communications with President Trump, who has been an organizing force in the collusion among team owners and in their conduct towards Kaepernick and other NFL players. Owners have described the Trump administration as causing paradigm shifts in their views towards NFL players. 14. The mere suspicion of collusion against Kaepernick has risen to a level of concrete and actual collusion it is no longer a statistical anomaly, but instead a statistical impossibility that Kaepernick has not been employed or permitted to try out for any NFL team since the initiation of his free agency period. NFL general managers and team leaders have referred to directives from NFL owners 
to not let Kaepernick so much as practice with the team. In a league that 70%, that is 70% African-American with not a single African-American owner, the NFL and its owners have colluded to deprive Kaepernick of employment for the purpose of making him an example to other players of repercussions of challenges the NFL power paradigm even by peaceful protest. It is with a heavy heart that Kaepernick submits this demand of arbitration as he has been saddened to confirm the bail The baleful? I don't think I've ever seen this word before. Machinations? That underlie the professional administration of America's pastime. Whew! Yeah, that was a mouthful. Now we get into the fun part. Number two, violation, like section two, violation of collective bargain agreement, anti-collusion. And mind you, when you read these, the numbers keep going. It's not like two, one, no, it's two, section two, and then we go number 15. Claimant Colin Kaepernick incorporates the above referral allegations through uh, set forth fully herein. 16, respondent NFL and all 32 constituent respondent NFL teams are in violation of the CBA's anti-collusion provisions as set forth in Article 17. 17 restates the Article 17. No club, its employees, or agents shall enter in any agreement, express or implied, blah, blah, blah. 18, respondents have engaged in express or implied collusion by prohibiting Kaepernick from practicing with any team, prohibiting Kaepernick for trying out with any team, and prohibiting Kaepernick from being employed with any team despite his qualifications. Respondents have undertaken said collusive conduct in retaliation for Kaepernick's invocation of his rights under the First Amendment and his leadership in bringing attention to racial inequality and social injustice. Said conduct has been manifest in the NFL team owners' communications with each other, the executive branch of the United States government, on social media, and through efforts announced by NFL Commissioner Goodell on October 10, 2017, to Nuk enact rules and regulations not previously on the books to prohibit and preclude Kaepernick and other players from kneeling. Number 19, claimant Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick requests all relief permitted by Article 17 of the CBA and 20 based on the public statements made by the NFL owners and NFL Commissioner Goodell regarding the foregoing matters. Claimant Colin Kaepernick respectfully requests that the NFL and its teams waive such confidentiality requirements as it may exist under Article 15, Section 10 to permit all proceedings to presumably open to the public. This was dated October 15th, 2017. And that's got Garagos and Garagos, all that. Now what's interesting is, well, it goes on from here because it's the state of California, it was filed in LA, and then this literally has the addresses of all 32 teams and the main office. But, that is Kaepernick's grievance right there. And I know some of you are like, well, that still doesn't say anything. Having written multiple papers on this through college, I can tell you right now that 
Kaepernick had a hell of a case. Because remember, the NFL did settle with him for an undisclosed amount. They settled at a court so that it didn't drag on. We don't know how much it is because the NFL didn't want it to leak. And Kaepernick, it sounded like was held under court order he couldn't exactly say. Though at this point, I kind of think yeah, somebody just said something, you know, if somebody just accidentally said something and didn't, you know, whatever. But it is still very interesting that the NFL had to settle out of court, but he is still without a job. So think about that. And I wanted, I, I you know, I read this a while ago, kind of in parts. Um... But I really wanted to read it to get fresh in people's minds to remember what really is going on here. And realize there's more to this story than what the what you're getting from the NFL. That was Kaepernick's side of it. But only partial. You know, like that's the legal side of it. And for the record, remember, the NFL settled out of court with Kaepernick for an undisclosed amount of money. Viewer discretion is advised. So I thought about doing something a little different for Real Brew, since I'm still kind of focusing on the dumpster fires of men's football. It's rivalry week, and uh, so, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Iron Bowl, Egg Bowl, you know those. But the one I really care about, only because I live it, and I've been in, you know, one of them's my alma mater, the Civil War. I'm not saying that I really know what's going to happen because I honestly don't know what the hell Oregon State team's going to show up. I don't know what the hell University of Oregon team's going to show up. Don't know. But the piece that I kind of kind of rubs me wrong is the fact that it's put on the Pac-12 network. The Pac-12 network is not exactly available to all those that live within Corvallis, Eugene, or the immediate areas. It's not really in the Pac-12 area. I know this because, again, I had to write a thesis on it, so, you know, we're one of many, and write a college paper on it. And the Pac-12 has a bad habit of creating battles thinking that it's going to help them. Clear back as far as 2009, Pac-12 Network was having a battle with then just DirecTV, now with AT&T. They were having a battle with DirecTV about getting the Pac-12 Network available. The Pac-12 wanted to charge people in the immediate area of all 12 of their teams, even when it was still the Pac-10, but even once they got... Colorado and Utah, they wanted to really charge everybody in the media area $80. Not $80 a year, $80 a month. And then if you were out of the Pac-12 network, like if you were in the SEC area, you'd only have to pay like, you know, 10 It didn't make sense. The model was backwards. 
It really didn't make sense. DirecTV said absolutely not. We are not going to increase our price. You know, we're already expensive because of sending ticket. We are not going to jack everybody's price on a channel that is not exactly the highest quality production to begin with. So the Pac-12 decided to start this whole campaign about dumping DirecTV and managed to browbeat Dish to join them. And people still have to pay 40 bucks a month to get that. Or Comcast or whatever. And it still didn't solve anything. It still hasn't solved any problems. Didn't make the Pac-12 really any money that they claimed that it was going to make them. So... Granted, it's better than, say, the Mountain West Conference and the fact that they don't have TV. They don't have a network. So um, their games don't get televised. They don't get televised. Where around here, your team sucks. Odds are it's going to be on Pac-12 Network and you will never see your team anyway. So it, it's essentially the same deal. But the piece that everybody has to remember is the Pac-12 is the lowest of the Power 5 conferences. They're actually at that point where they're going to lose their Power 5 status and join the non-Power 5, and we could have the Power 4 and the non-Power 6. That's how on the brink we are. Because you have the highest paid commissioner in the entire college football system. Commissioner Scott makes $4 million. I'm dead serious. He made $4 million a couple years ago. He's probably making almost 6 now. Just based on their progression. I don't know why, considering that Pac-12 in the, I guess you could say, sports where it matters, where the money makers are. Granted, the Pac-12 is considered the Conference of Champions, which is true because they have many championships and most of it's women's sports. And it takes the next conference like several hundred before they're even able to come in second place. There is that. But media, unfortunately, only cares about the big four. The big four on the men's side. And, you know, lately, yes, Pac-12 has had consistently basketball teams in the big, or within that, you know, March Madness stuff, but there's still the East Coast bias, so those teams, those conferences benefit. But it still is one of those things that football is the ultimate moneymaker. There's no getting around it. It is the moneymaker. But, and especially in the case of like Oregon, every time they get close, they fizzle. OSU never. I think the last time they would have made a national championship was when it was the Rose Bowl back in 69, um, 69-68. That was the last time they really made it that far. The high, next highest they got was the um, Fiesta Bowl in 2001. That was like the, the last like high game they ever made. Um, but there's a problem here. The Pac-12 has a bad habit of not publicly releasing their finances. Um, I, I just know that when I was trying to write the paper on them about you know, what do they need to improve on, using their financial statements was really difficult because even with the Freedom of Information Act that a journalist filed against them, 
in, Cal in the state of California, because they are in San they're located in San Francisco. Um, they still redacted a substantial amount of money out of their statement. Uh, they reported that they only made 500 only 567 million dollars, but when you did the math of everything, they actually made almost close to 600 million. So we don't know where about 40, 40 million went. And the Pac-12 ended up double dipping itself. It's supposed to divide all of its money equally amongst its 12 member universities. You know, that's USC, UCLA, Cal, Berkeley, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, um, Utah and Colorado. Those 12 are supposed to get equal share. However, the Pac-12 likes to take out what it pays for Scott, takes out what it pays for the rest of his office, takes out what it pays for the network, takes out what it pays for administrative fees, takes out what it pays for the refs, takes out what this and this, then takes what's left and splits it 13 ways so that it still gets a share of those profits, of that money. On average, the Pac-12 teams only bring in about 10 million a year. Now, if you look at the SEC in that same time frame, they were each getting 25 million. Even the ones that were getting beat up, you know, even Arkansas was still getting a substantial amount of money and they're still up there and, you know, still up there because even though they're got a horrible record, they're still considered a higher caliber than most Pac-12 schools. So they can afford new facilities and stuff like that. Where a lot of these schools are literally falling apart outside of athletics. One of them happens to be University of Oregon. Um... Yeah, no bias there. I know a lot of you are like, yo, you're just bitching because, you know, you went to Oregon State. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll talk shit about the Ducks all day. Especially this week. I'll talk shit about the Ducks all day. But that is a known fact. U of O grads will admit they don't have Wi-Fi in their buildings. You know, their buildings are crumbling. They maybe get a new building here or there. But Athletics has brand new fucking facilities. You know, Hayward Field is almost done. They have the Moshovsky that only seems like athletics can use. It's a bitch to get into. I know this from many other reasons. Thanks. Um, they have the Moriata Center that only the football team can get into. You know, there's they have turf on their baseball field. Like, come on, you know. Athletics, men's side of the athletics seems to get handed stuff like crazy. The only one that got the short end of the stick there was when baseball came in. Wrestling was squashed. Oregon State adopted all the wrestlers and we see how the men's baseball team really uh, did well considering that the Beavs still kick their ass. But any <laughs> putting that all aside, there's still an issue here. There's still an issue. With every year the Pac-12 wants to claim that they're getting better, yet, when you look on, you know, the shows where it's, like, ranking them, yes, you see the Ducks always up there 
for whatever reason, even if they died for three games, they'd still be ranked in the top 25. When they don't, it's amazing. You'll see Stanford come in because of prestige. You'll see USC. Wazoo, Arizona State, Oregon State, you know, maybe Cal. You know, they apparently, even when they're doing well, can't break that mold. And some of it is bias in the system, and other parts of it is, I think, prestige. Athletic prestige. Never mind that those schools might actually be better academically, but that's for another discussion. One of the biggest complaints I have here with this Civil War being on the Pac-12 network, this is the sixth oldest rivalry in the nation. Sixth. This should be the 124th Civil War or something like that. The only time they haven't had Civil War was World War II. And it was because Oregon State couldn't field a team and the University of Oregon agreed not to hold it because they were in the middle of being deployed for World War II. That was the only year it didn't happen. So, it's still a very old rivalry. It takes an Ivy League school. I mean, really, the Ivy League schools have older rivalries. That's it. So, for it to be put on a shit network is kind of questionable. Especially considering, as I've said before, most Oregon State and University of Oregon fans cannot watch it on their subscriptions. Now, saying all that, there is a seven-day trial for Pac-12 Network that uh, I know, like, I personally will be exploiting because fuck Pac-12 on this shit. Um, I want to be able to watch Civil War, goddammit. At least it's at 1 o'clock and I'll be awake for it. But, you know, God forbid some of us can actually watch this game and it not be really bad camera work. You know, commentators are questionable. The review... Ugh, God, don't even get me started. Refing, ugh. Jeez. It, wouldn't, it really wouldn't be a season without some controversy out of the Pac-12, as you've seen me do in several rules of the game kind of things. But, it's just constant one thing after another with this conference. And, I think that if people really paid attention to what's going on, the Pac-12's problem is not the teams. The Pac-12's problem is the Pac-12. Their network sucks because they refuse to allow a higher caliber production group, be it NBC, Fox, ESPN, handle their content. Handle the filming, handle the, you know, all of them. Instead, they would rather still stay this low capacity and alienate their own fan base. One of the suggestions I had during my paper was if the NF or if the Pac-12, instead of charging everybody $80 within the market, if you charged everybody within the area, say, $6 a month to watch Pac-12 Network. Everybody within the immediate, I think it was, I think I put it like within 40 miles, like 30, 30 to 40 miles of your 
school. Which, you know, for somebody like me, I would actually hover and have both OSU and U of O within there. But it would be, you know, they're, they're regionalized. There's Pac-12 Washington, there's Pac-12 Oregon, you know, that kind of stuff. But the schools themselves, Washington's, the Washington schools, you know, Pullman would be able to really watch their stuff. Wazoo would be able to, you know, Seattle could watch their stuff for the Huskies. But that kind of stuff. And then if you were outside of that, if you were outside of the Pac-12, so Mountain West, you know, then it was $10 a month. And if you were beyond even that, you ended up being $12 to $15 a month. People would buy that. Because in truth, it wouldn't raise the bill all that much. It really was pretty easy going. You know, yeah, I mean, that sounds expensive, but considering how the bill plays out, it actually wasn't half bad. And because I I knew from my experience that an average bill with DirecTV was, if you didn't have Sunday ticket, was like, you know, around $100. What was, you know, six more bucks. Um... And like, yes, okay, yeah, you do that. No, yeah, that still increases. 20, you know, $50 here or there, whatever. If, if you were able to actually watch stuff and it was high caliber, you wouldn't care. It's the same reason why, you know, if it was in, if the Pac-12 was incorporated with like, you had the sports package and it was incorporated where you got the SEC network and, um, which is ESPN, but, you know, the Big Ten, the ACC, and all that stuff, all together. You just have to pay it according to where you're located. People wouldn't question that. Instead, the Pac-12 has it inverted, and they can't figure out why nobody's watching their shit. You know, that's one thing. They do not release their ratings ever. Ever. Um, The Nielsen has them ranked really low in comparison, but I kind of feel like uh, Pac-12 doesn't use Nielsen ratings, which makes sense. Because Nielsen nowadays doesn't exactly document properly, but they have means to keep track of everything, even digitally, and they don't even do that. They just brag about how they can do stuff, but they don't cite their sources. The Pac-12 is exhausting in the fact that when they are called out on shit, it's amazing how they twist it to make it sound like they're the they're the good guys and everybody's wrong. You know, DirecTV found them to be shady, and they turned it around and said, oh, it was DirecTV's fault, you know. It's DirecTV's fault that we're like this. Like, that's essentially how it played out. And they still, you know, the recent thing was they wanted to do 9 a.m. kickoffs for us, not realizing that at 9 a.m. our time is noon East Coast. Like, hell, if I had a choice between Ohio State and Oregon State for games at 9 a.m., my ass is probably going to go watch Ohio State first before I go watch Oregon State. Which isn't the fact that I know Oregon State ain't going to play well at 9 a.m. They don't even play well at 7 p.m. Like, you know, the Pac-12 after dark thing is bullshit, too. Because that takes a lot of effort, and it's really hard to play those late games. Unless you have to. Like, I can understand in the Arizonas. You know, for Arizona, Arizona State being the Tempe and Tucson, I can understand that. Um, because of temperature. I can understand that. However, they still got cooling fans on the side. They got, you know, they got ice towels. They got trainers. They got the ability to, 
you know, get everything they need. Where if it was women's tackle football, we'd be like, ah, oh, fuck, all right, let's go. Yeah, shit, we gotta go play in this weather. You know, we've all been there. But that's the one thing, is even if women's tackle football had half the power that this, this shit was, we would love to be televised. But we wouldn't charge our people 80 fucking bucks a month for bullshit. I mean, granted, we have some groups that are trying to charge them for what well, I would consider, you know, I think Pac-12 sits above their standard, but yeah, it's for another time. No, my notice I didn't say any names because I don't want to start that whole shit story. But for a, an apparent Power Five conference, they don't think this through. Because again, what the hell is the point of putting on a big rivalry game on a network that nobody can fucking watch? It's pretty funny that everybody outside the Pac-12 can watch this because it's incorporated in their channels unless they're direct TV and AT&T. Um, but in the meantime, you know, fuck their market. And that's what it feels like. The NCAA won't step in to do the right thing when they need to, but the conferences don't help themselves. Especially in this case. This conference does not help itself. Well, help the teams. All it cares about is making itself money and making sure that they maintain their expensive-ass $2 million a year rent for a building that they don't even own. They own a floor that supposedly has all the network, and I'll tell you right now, they need to invest a little bit more to make that network look better. But anyway, yeah. So, hopefully, looking forward to the rest of the rivalry games, we can, uh, have some good games this week. I'm not expecting much out of my beavers. Um, I'm not. God. If we go to a bowl game this year because we win Civil War, I'll be amazed. Otherwise, I'm expecting to have to hear from my coworkers, who, and from the people I work with in general, how shitty the beavers are per usual and how the ducks are God's gift so for those of you who have big rivalries in your areas you totally understand the pain I feel and the fact that you always wonder why you hate the opposing team it's because of asshole fans so, but I do take shit from alum and the nice thing is the people I am around are alumni so I can take shit from them just as they can take shit from me because I'm You have been listening to Four Point Stance, Women's Tackle Football Talk, on at least 16 different locations, or as I like to call half the internet. If you want access or links to any of those locations, contact me on the official Twitter handle for the show, 4 underscore PT underscore Stance, and that is the number 4. Um, and I can get you the links from there. And, uh, yeah, as we really start ramping up, we are, I wouldn't say we're at the end of the silly season, we're actually in that awkward stage of silly season part two, we're going to see this sudden ramp up of things, um, but as December approaches and the preseason begins, we'll start seeing schedules come out, we'll start seeing some things, I do have a couple more segments that are going to be coming out, um, I have one that's actually in the in the makings of it probably won't come out until I'm thinking March or so, but I can at least start teasing it. Maybe. Um just depends. 
and uh, a few other things going on. As a reminder, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7. This time of year, they are definitely there to help because this is a hard time for a lot of people. 1-800-273-8255 and the Trans Lifeline are especially there to help you. This time of year is very difficult for trans individuals, youth, or adults in general. Canadian number is 877-330-6366 and the U.S. number is 877-565-8860.